0: Good morning! morning. Welcome to Bay Area Church of Christ. Again, if you're a guest of ours, we're really honored that you're here. If you're joining us online, we are uh, we're honored to have you uh, that way here as well. Glad that we're together this morning. Years ago, when my kids were still small, we had a lot of animals on our property. We had, uh, from time to time, horses, cows, chickens. My daughter raised rabbits for a while. One spring, I realized we had a wild animal getting into the feed room. A possum or something was getting in there, tearing up the feed. So I got a live animal trap, and I was just going to trap the wild animal. You know, one of those things that you, you bait it, and they walk in, and they trip the spring, and the door shuts, and then you take the trap with the animal in it to your neighbors and let it loose there you know (laughs) so it goes into his barn that was the plan so I put cattle feed in the live trap because that's what it was getting into in the feed room next day I went out and the trap was still empty but the feed was still in it but the animal had gotten into my barrel of feed again so then okay challenge on right I went to the house and got some lunch meat and I put lunch meat in the trap. Not only that, I made a little trail of lunch meat right out to the door. Next morning I go to the barn, the trail of lunch meat is all gone, the lunch meat is still in the trap, no animal in the trap. That evening I put a piece of pizza in the trap. No, no pizza trail, Just he doesn't like pizza, right? Next morning, I go out to the barn, and even before I get to the feed room, I know I've got them because I can hear that trap rattling around. Something's in there trying to get out. You know, there, there's, there's a possum, there's a raccoon, there's an armadillo. Something's in there. I walk into the feed room. I kind of look over to the corner where I'd hidden the trap, and in that live trap was not a possum. It was not an armadillo. It was not a raccoon. In the live trap was a very live skunk. LAUGHTER And let me tell you, (laughs) it is a lot easier to catch a live skunk in a trap than it is to release a live skunk from a trap. By far, the funniest part of this story is me trying to release the skunk from that trap. And maybe I'll tell that at a different time. But for this morning, I tell you that just to let you know, I know how to catch a skunk. You just keep changing the menu until you find something that he can't say no to. I recommend pizza. Just keep changing the menu until you find something that he can't say no to. I think Satan works the same way. Satan will just keep changing the menu until he finds something that we can't say no to. You know, his purpose is to steal and to kill, and destroy. And if one way doesn't work, he'll try another way. And he'll keep trying things until he finds something that you can't resist. And it always starts out looking so simple, so safe, so harmless. But it always leads to something else. And it always leads to something more. The the menu, the temptations, get harder and harder for us to resist, to say no to. He just keeps changing the menu until we wander into the trap. And once that door goes shut, it is hard to get free again. I heard someone say, Satan tracks, he tricks, he traps. Solomon said it this way. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, little knowing it will cost him his life. You know, there's things that Satan puts in front of us. They look so harmless, so simple, but it always leads to something else, and it always leads to something worse. You know, all through our lives, we're forced to deal with these crises of conscience. As Christians, we have the Word of God, we have the Spirit of God trying to lead us in the paths of righteousness. At the same time, we have the Spirit of darkness trying to mislead us into destruction. Maybe for you, uh, it's an ethical tug-of-war when your boss asks you to do something that just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem quite honest or honorable. might not be... Illegal, exactly, but there's just something sketchy about it. But you know, if you don't do what your boss is asking you to do, then you know, it's going to change the dynamics of the workplace, and maybe that next promotion's not going to go to you. Maybe it's the tension that you feel when that coworker keeps flirting with you. And you're married, and they're married, and you know it's not right, but it feels kind of Right? Maybe you had a uh, mental tug-of-war this morning about two hours ago. Because about two hours ago, it was raining pretty hard. And it was like, what a great day just to stay home. It is just messy out there, you know. We can just sleep in. We can can turn the TV on. We'll catch it on the couch. Sun was shining at 9 o'clock. We struggle with those things all the time. But when those inner struggles start to be replaced with an allegiance to Jesus, those battles become a lot easier. Now, we're still tempted, but the battles become a lot easier. In fact, there's, there's a real peace, and there's a real joy when you know that you have chosen the more difficult right instead of the easier wrong. Amen. A young man asked his grandfather one day, his grandfather, a very godly man, had a long history of a walk with the Lord, and this, this young man asked his grandfather, he said, Granddad, when is, gonna, when is Satan going to quit tempting me? When is Satan finally going to give up and leave me alone? And the older man said, well, son, I know I think for me it's going to be not until I'm at least three days dead. <laughs> Satan's always going to come at us, right? I think the Apostle Paul could relate to that old man's statement. Maybe you can too. We're in a series where we are looking at some of the highlights from the book of Romans as Paul cuts to the chase, as Paul shares with us just some foundational truths about what life in the kingdom looks like, about what what following Jesus is going to mean in our day-to-day lives. And there is a section in Romans chapter 7 where Paul sort of pulls the curtain back on his own life. And he gives us a peek into some of his own spiritual struggles. And he explains that, yeah, we're Christians, but uh, we're still living in a world. And Satan is still alive and well, and and we live in a world that's broken. And so Paul is going to describe the tension that he has between good intentions and bad behavior. I'm going to read through this passage. Then we're going to back up. And we'll look at a few things from the passage. It's a rather long reading, and you've got to pay pretty close attention. But in this reading, we're going to see three lies that Satan tells over and over again. It's going to sound familiar, by the way. Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. Paul says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out, for what I What I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Everybody tracking with Paul so far? Okay, you got it, right? He's making perfect sense. (laughs) There's actually more. Verse 21 So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Every time I read that passage, I don't know whether to be encouraged or depressed. Every time I read that passage, I'm I'm a little bit confused, but I read it and my first response is, yeah, exactly. What Paul just said. (laughs) I don't want to do the things I do. I do want to do the things I don't do. What's wrong with me? And Paul's going to answer that question. And again, Paul is going to reveal three lies that Satan tells us, and he's going to try to give us an answer to those lies. And here's the first of Satan's lies. I can control sin. It's the first lie that Satan's going to tell you in this passage. You can control sin. You can handle it. You got this. Paul wants you to know, you don't got this. You can't control sin. Look back at verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Years ago, a guy by the name of Frank Massey wrote a poem Two natures beat within my breast, one is foul, one is blessed, one I love, one I hate, the one I feed will dominate. When Paul wrote this letter to the Christians living in Rome, he had been a follower of Jesus for almost 25 years. He's not this babe in Christ, he's not a new convert, he's not a young Christian, he'd been a follower of Jesus for a long time. And the struggle that Paul has isn't knowing right from wrong. Paul knew right from wrong. I mean, no one knew the law better than Paul. This wasn't a battle of what's right and what's wrong. This was a battle of control. What is going to control Paul? I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I, I, I do the very thing I hate. Have you ever acknowledged the fact that there are certain sins that you just seem to be drawn to? I mean, there's certain things in your life that Satan knows you're going to react and respond to. And you just kind of find yourself going back to that same thing, those same issues, making those same mistakes. It's different for everybody. I mean, you've got your struggles, I've got mine. But maybe it's an action. Maybe it's an attitude. And every time that wheel turns around, Satan tells you again, you can handle this. You can do this. You're not going to go too far. It's not going to lead to something else. It's not going to lead to something worse. But if you really could handle it, you wouldn't keep making the same mistakes over and over again, right? You know, despite your sincere intentions, you keep going back to those same websites. And you keep flirting with that person that you're not married to. You keep harboring this resentment towards that same individual. You keep waking up with a hangover every Sunday morning. And it's not that you didn't know right from wrong, it's not that you didn't know what you were doing was wrong. It's just that you believed once again, I can handle it. It's not going to go too far. I know when to stop. I I know when to change. And then you get to the other side and you look back, I didn't stop. And here I am dealing with it all over again. And it it begs the question, what's it going to take? What's it going to take before you acknowledge God... I can't control my sin. By myself, I can't. I can't do it on my own. I need help. Here's a second lie that Satan will tell you regarding sin, and that is, I can overcome sin. I can conquer sin. Again, that's a lie straight from Satan because you can't conquer sin. You can't overcome sin. Look at verse 17. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Can't you almost feel Paul's frustration through the pages here? Can't you get a sense of, of, of how honest Paul is being with himself? And how honest he's being with us as well. Paul says, listen, I know what I'm capable of. And it scares me a little bit. I, I know the struggle that's going on in my mind. I know the struggle that's going on in my heart. Prophet Jeremiah would say this, the human heart is most deceitful and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? We foolishly tell ourselves, I can overcome sin. But we can't overcome sin, not on our own. Go back to Romans chapter 7, verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. Paul understands the consequences of concealment when it comes to sin. Paul understands how dangerous it is to hide sin to push it aside, to to marginalize sin, to dismiss it. He knows it's going to destroy him if he does that. And again, we think, you know, I can manage this. I've been hiding this sin for a long time. No one knows. No one needs to know. And we get to where we start to rationalize our sin. And then pretty soon we'll start to justify our sin. But again, there's this there's this tension. There's this struggle. And so what we end up with is this false facade of everything's great. My life is wonderful. But inside, I'm, I'm dealing with this sin. So now not only am I dealing with the sin, now I'm dealing with the shame of trying to act like I've got it all together. Now I'm dealing with the embarrassment of trying to hide a sin. That hypocrisy keeps trying to get me to say, I can handle this. I I I can overcome this all by myself. Alcoholics Anonymous has a saying that you are only as sick as your secrets. So, what sin are you hiding? I can control sin. I can overcome sin. And then here, here's one last lie from Satan. I'm immune to sin. There's no pattern, there's no problem, can't hurt me, can't touch me. That's what we tell ourselves, right? This isn't going to affect me. It's not going to affect anyone else. There are lasting repercussions of my actions. It's not going to get more, it's not going to get worse. I mean, everybody sins, right? Verse 21, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. You know, usually when we think of sin, we think of my sin and your sin. And there's a difference, right? Your sin's worse than my sin. That's the difference. At least that's what we tell ourselves. um, Yeah, uh, yeah, I make mistakes, but I'm not as bad as that person, and my sin isn't really that big of a deal. And we sort of minimize the effects of sin. You know, we rationalize it away. Yeah, I had to tell a white lie, but you know, no harm, no foul. Um, I didn't commit adultery. I had a moral indiscretion. You know, I'm not addicted to anything. I just, I have some struggles. I'm not taking God's name in vain. That's just the way everybody communicates these days. But if you back up one chapter into Romans chapter 6, the adjectives that Paul uses for sin are words like evil and wicked. And the noun that Paul most uh, associates with sin is the noun death. That's how seriously God takes our sin. And of course, the Apostle Paul is being very honest about this, but he's not the only one. He's not the only one in Scripture, you know, let alone in the world. Everybody, all all these heroes and non heroes in Scripture, they all struggled with the same thing. Go back to the very beginning Adam and Eve. God says, one rule don't eat the fruit of that tree. Let's eat the fruit of that tree. Jonah. Jonah was such a racist, he didn't want the people of Nineveh to be saved. He would rather sit in the shade and watch them all be done away with. Yet to the New Testament, the very end of Jesus' life, you've got Judas and Peter. Judas is going to betray the Savior. Peter is going to deny knowing his Lord. It's always easier to point out sin in someone else's life but we're usually pretty blind to sin in our own lives. But at some point, we've got to come clean with God. Not that God doesn't know exactly what's going on in your life. He knows. But we've got to come clean and say, God, this is what it is, and I'm not proud of it, but I can't handle it on my own. I've tried, and I can't deal with this on my own. Without Jesus, without God, without the Holy Spirit working in your life, you're always going to fall for the same bait, and you're always going to end up right back where you were, no matter how hard you try to change that course on your own. But of course, the really good news is that when we repent of those sins, when we confess Jesus is our Lord, when we're baptized into Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And now it's not just me trying to battle sin. Now I've got the Spirit of God, which puts me in the majority. Now think about it. The Spirit of God could reside wherever He wants, and yet He has chosen to take up residence in the heart of believers. So now it's not just me Now I have some real ammunition. Now I have a heavy hitter in my corner. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, talking about Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. We don't handle our sin by trying to modify our behavior. We handle our sin by turning it over to God. God works from the inside out. God said, I'm going to work on your heart. I'm going to change your heart. Our behavior is a byproduct of our heart. Our behavior is a byproduct of what we believe. It's a byproduct of who we belong to. In Romans chapter 7, Paul keeps describing this tension that exists within him. and He, he makes this long journal entry of all this turmoil of, I want to do right, I can't do right. I don't want to do wrong, but I keep doing wrong. And it sounds so hopeless. And he sounds so frustrated. And, and he sounds so beaten down. But then he, he takes that hopelessness, and in a sentence, he changes it into the greatest hope of all. Verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Your version might say, What a miserable man I am. Which does not sound very hopeful. But, who will rescue me from this body of death? Paul asked the question, Who will rescue me? And then he answers his own question. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who will rescue me? Friday night, two nights ago, uh, Martha and I were gifted uh, a couple tickets to the Lauren Daigle concert here at Emily Arena. Thank you, Bert and Jeannie. Um, We had a great night. Uh, We're both really big fans. But she sang a song, one of her bigger hits in that concert, and the name of the song is Rescue. It's a great song. And it's God saying, I will send out an army to find you. In the middle of the darkest night, it's true. I will rescue you. We need rescued. The song that Dave led this morning um, talks about, you know, I come broken to be... One of the lines was, I come something to be rescued. (laughs) I thought, perfect, yeah. We need rescued. Paul said... I need to be rescued. Who's going to rescue me? And part of me reads what Paul says and says, ooh, but that's Paul. I mean, that's the apostle Paul. You know, he had a different relationship with God and Jesus than I do. I mean, that's Paul. That's the apostle Paul where every city he went, he started a riot or a, or a revival. You know, sometimes the same thing in the same city. I mean, that's Paul. He he wrote more books of the New Testament than anybody else. That's the Apostle Paul. What chance do I have? And then I'm reminded that's Saul of Tarsus who put followers of Jesus to death. And that's Saul of Tarsus who said, I am the chief of sinners. So maybe I do have a chance, a chance that becomes a likelihood. And then Paul will tell you it's a likelihood that becomes a promise. If. If Jesus is the Lord of our lives. See, I look at my life and I say, what a sinner. And I look at Jesus and I think, what a Savior. So I'm going to be more devoted God's word and I'm going to be more devoted to prayer and I'm not going to toy with temptation I'm going to flee temptation I'm not going to allow myself to get distracted I'm going to turn to God, I'm going to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit I want to share one last verse with you this morning, it's not in the book of Romans it's actually in the book of Hebrews which might have been written by the same guy The Hebrew writer says this about uh, dealing with sin. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So we're not going to grow weary. And we're not going to lose heart. We're going to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We're going to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. And whenever you start to feel like a wretched man, whenever you start to feel like a miserable person, just remember Paul's uh, argument. Who is going to rescue me? Who's going to rescue this wretched man? Who's going to rescue this this miserable person? Thanks be to God. Jesus Christ, our Lord. We've got a song that we're going to use this morning as a song of encouragement. As a church family, if we can help you in any way, we're going to invite you to come to the front and meet us there. Let's go ahead and be standing, and we'll sing.